Welcome to Reteach, a place where professors know that student equity gaps can be closed and are willing to put in the work to figure it out. We are dedicated to our teaching and our students. We are passionate about improving our classrooms and our communities. We can make a difference. We will make a difference. I am your host, Bruce Hoskins, and my mind and heart are ready to learn. So what's up, everyone? So here's another installment in the short series of videos of how COVID-19 will help us become better teachers, right? And so here we're going to be, right, in these next few weeks for the remainder of this semester, most likely, that we're going to be scrambling around for content, right? It's like there's going to be a lot of of emphasis on trying to find uh, relevant, culturally relevant uh, content and everything. And so what I want to encourage you right now is to let your passion drive your content. Let what you are passionate about drive your content. And for me, and be very purposeful about that. And for me, when I was uh, using this uh, concept of using my passion to drive my content, that's what, what led me to use spoken word poetry um, not only in my textbook, but also in my class and not only just in my class to where they'll hear spoken word poetry, but where I actually have students write poems themselves and then recite those poems uh, during uh, class time. Right. And so I spend a lot of time. I have a lot of time dedicated to poetry in my class, but here's the reason why. And spoken word poetry specifically is not just poetry It's spoken word poetry specifically. And here are some reasons as to why I chose spoken word poetry. But quite honestly, I ain't going to lie to you folks. It's like, if you know me well enough, it's like, I don't know if I chose spoken word poetry or if spoken word poetry chose me. Um, Because uh, when I first started with spoken word poetry, it's like, look, I <laughs> I don't know if this is embarrassing for me to say, but I was quite the battle MC back in high school. Okay, I'm 48 now. And so I'm talking about over 30 years ago. Um, I was quite the battle MC back in high school. So I'm talking about 30 years ago. I was quite the battle MC back in high school. And I tell my students that because they get a kick out of it. And what I didn't realize back then is that hip hop and being a battle MC and performing in front of others, that this was um, the, the the very foundations, a lot of the foundational work of spoken word poetry. Now, please don't misunderstand. The spoken word poetry actually extends way further back than um, hip hop itself. But there are a lot of elements in hip hop that are very conducive and very connected to spoken word poetry. Um, In order for me to switch from a battle MC to a spoken word poet, that's when um, I actually uh, humbled myself greatly because I was honestly, it all started off with me um, just trying to bring in some original content into a class, into my comparative cultures class. And so I had this student in my class who was an underground like hip hop artist. Uh, you know, just he's not part of a record label. As a matter of fact, he created a record label. Uh, the homie, his name is Ruslan. Um, and if you're into uh, hip hop at all, clean, story driven hip hop, check him out. Ruslan, R-U-S-L-A-N, Ruslan. King's Dream is his label. Dude is amazing. But anyway, so this guy was my was my student before he became all famous and everything. He was just a student of mine. And he uh, he asked me if I knew how to. If I knew how to rap anymore, because I would say that I, I was a rapper uh, back in the day, and then he was like, "Do you know how to rap anymore?" And um, and I was like, "Yeah." And I I did a you know I did one of my rhymes for him, 
uh, one that I remembered specifically for this moment that I knew that there was going to be some young person that was going to say, it's like, I don't believe you. You went, you didn't, you didn't used to rap. And then I was going to do this rap and then be like, you know, hush the crowd type of deal. But he wasn't coming at me like that. He literally was just genuinely interested in me as an artist. And so I do this rap and this is what he said of me afterwards. He was like, yo, that was pretty dope. You know what? I'll lay that down for you for free. Now, here's the deal. I didn't know what lay that down for you for free meant. Um, but after a while, I kind of figured out that he wanted to record that rap. And he was like, do you have some other verses to go with that? Because I, I can make a song for you um, and just have you record that. And so I literally went into this in the beginning. I was like, yo, I'm just going to do this one song. You know, my, my time of being an MC is 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 way over. And so I'm not even trying to relive any of that. But um, it'd be cool to have this song recorded and then I'm good to go. Right. It's like I never have to do this again. And so the funny thing is, right, it's like so he sampled a beat for me and he so he constructed a whole beat for me and then he gave me another beat. So he gave me two instrumentals and he was like, OK, so this is going to be the one that you're going to use for that 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 first song that you did. And he said, but see if you can write anything to this other instrumental. Now, here's the deal. I didn't know what that even meant. I didn't know what write something to this instrumental even meant. And so what I found out is that he was saying, listen to this instrumental and see if it inspires you to write something. And so I had to figure that out. And so I listened to that thing over and over again, you know, and then I, and then I finally sat myself down. It was a, a few days later. And then, I, you know, I finally sat myself down. I listened to it one more time and then I let myself write. And then another song popped up like out of nowhere. And I was like, man, this song sounds pretty good. I like this song. And so, you know, what, what wound up starting off as just a, you know, an exercise in my own ego and vanity, if you would, uh, wound up becoming a, a passion, like reigniting a passion of mine in regards to being, you know, of, of hip hop and poetry. And so the poetry part happened, you know, look, hip hop is poetry. So I ain't going to sit here and mess with y'all about that. But the part where the poetry really kicked in, though, the spoken word poetry specific really kicked in, was that I was listening to Ruslan's album and he had this style of poetry that I was like, man, what is this? I didn't I didn't know what it was. And he talked to me about spoken word poetry. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to, you know, I, I, I really like that. What I want you to do, can you, would you please bring that to my classroom, right? Um, in my comparative cultures class. And he was like, oh, absolutely. And he said, you know what, can I bring someone else in there? And I was like, I was like, of course, the more the merrier. And he was like, yeah, you know, this is dude named Ant Black, who I really want to introduce you to because this dude, he's amazing. And, um, and he's also a sociology person. And so I think y'all have a lot in common. Well, Ant Black, his real name is Anthony Blackshire. And he used to, and just in case you haven't figured this out, uh, or you don't know anything about spoken word poetry, that's fine. Ant Black is now like one of the premier spoken word poets like that's ever walked this planet, okay? Um, he didn't want to make it as much money at it as uh, Rudy Francisco did, but you know his pathway uh, went definitely more into the teaching route. Um, and I know I'm dropping all these names on y'all. Make sure you Google Rudy Francisco and Ant Black, and then you'll understand. And then uh, what you'll also know is that Ant Black, later on, he winds up teaching here at Maricosta because I wound up hiring him. The moment that he got his master's degree, um, I wound up hiring him as an associate faculty member. And while he was here, he was co-advisor to the Performance Writers Club, and I was the other advisor. And in that space, he taught me how to become a spoken word poet. 
that's that's where I got as a matter of fact and he's like 10 years younger than me and so uh, but I was so respectful of him I still to this day call him sensei um, when when we talk about anything spoken word poetry related he is and will always be my sensei and so backing up in the story again real quick is that so Ruslan wanted to bring Aunt Black into my comparative cultures class. I didn't know the dude. And so we wound up, you know, going to lunch. We went to Terry's Cafe. I don't know why I still remember what he ate. It was shrimp yakisoba. <laughs> I don't know why that's important, but I'm just saying that anyway. We just hit it off amazingly well. We connected and um, and it was great. And then he comes to my class, right? Him and Ruslan, they come to my class. And they do this amazing spoken word poetry performance. And after they do that, I I was like, I was so inspired that I actually said to the class right then and there, I'm like, look, we're going to have in your next reading response, if someone does a spoken word poem and um, and if you, and if you get up and you read it to the class, I'll give you an automatic 50 out of 50. I, I, I wanted them to be motivated and I knew that it would be hard for them to do. The funny thing that happened in that space was that the students then challenged me to write a spoken word poem. And I'm like, why I gotta write a poem? It's like I'm I'm the professor. I don't need to 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 write a poem. I'm not I'm not I'm not the one being graded here. They're like, oh no, come on, come on. Cause in that class there was a lot of students who were repeat students of mine. And so for the students that had taken me already, they felt very familiar with me and they, you know, they knew that I was uh used to do hip hop and all of this stuff. And I was just like, look, if I'm gonna write this poem, you gotta let me be me. And they were like, Yeah, of course. And I wind up writing a poem and that poem winds up being the title track of a CD that Ruslan helped me do. That's where my passion led me. My passion led me this older dude in this classroom to just try something new and different. And, and it wound up emerging and becoming so much more than what I could have possibly have imagined but I did it because I was just passionate about hip hop and that passion led me to spoken word poetry. And so there's a transition that wound up having to happen for me is that, you know, when it comes to being an MC, it's like, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta be dope, right? But when you're a spoken word poet, you gotta switch out the dope for depth. You gotta switch out the ego of the MC and go to this, this emotional state right, for the poet. And so I was very ready for that in my life. I was ready to go for depth. I was ready for the emotional uh, content of the space. And as a writer, I tend to, well, I vastly write things about like family and things like that. I write about death and dying. I write about growing older. I write about forgiving my father. I write about, you know, I was like, I write about very, I, I write about, I've wrote, written about my, my, my son or my students and things like that. I'm not necessarily a social justice poet, right? It's like, that's, that's not normally where I'm writing from. I didn't know how much I needed that in my life until I got it. And then, like I said, I let that passion develop in me and drive me. Um, it took me years to be even decent at spoken word poetry and, and learn how to do all the techniques and to critique and get critiqued and to, 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 to write from my heart. But because of that, I was able to use spoken word, word poetry and infuse it all through my textbook and then also infuse that into the curriculum, right? Um, to actually teach students to to speak spoken to to write spoken word poems, and then to also perform them if they're willing. But as I'm talking about this, I wanted to make sure that if you decide to use spoken word poetry, that when you're be purposeful in selecting the content. 
And so I know I'm talking about spoken word poetry, right? But the whole thing about this is let your passion drive your content, right? It's like what you're seeking out, let your passions drive your content. And so what I'm telling you about using your passions to drive your content, you the, the first thing that you got to make sure that you're doing is you got to make sure that you're very purposeful about the, the content that you're selecting. You got to be very purposeful in doing that. Meaning this is that you can't just pick what you like. You can't just pick what you like uh, when, when you're doing this. Yes, use your passion to drive your content and yet at the same time be very purposeful about the content that you're selecting. And so, look, I'll just be honest with you. If I just pick the people that I liked, if I just pick the topic that I liked or what I naturally gravitate to, then the topics would always be about blackness. It would be about race. It would be about social justice. It would be about gender. Those are the ones that I get kind of pulled towards. And so, and then a lot of those things were with, uh, you know, if you're looking for uh, poetry specifically or spoken word poetry, um, Deaf Poetry Jam is, is like, if you go to YouTube, you can look at Deaf Poetry Jam. This is a space that um, has a lot of uh, poets who are of color and in those spaces, they tend to talk about social justice oriented type of stuff. It just is what it is. I took note of that. And I'm like, look, I want to make sure that my that my students, all of them, not just the white students, but that all of my students knew that white people can do spoken word poetry also. And so I was very purposeful then in going to the space called Button Poetry, which has a lot more. I just say it point blank, white people who are doing poetry. Now, here's the deal is that when you're looking at poetry from these two spaces, look, I'm a sociologist and I could tell you right now that there was a very different sociological content that was happening in the spaces. In the, the spaces with people of color, there was a lot more social justice, uh, like direct social justice, social movement type of things that were happening in that space. Um, and anytime someone, most of the time when people were talking about gender, they also, they were talking about intersectionality, meaning they were talking about gender and race. They were talking about gender and class or something like that. That's what was happening a lot of times on a place like that poetry jam. While in button poetry, there was a lot more white people and, um, the topics generally were not social justice oriented. If they were, they were oriented around gender and, um, someone's sexuality. Those were the things that kept on coming up into those, those spaces. And so button poetry it, it has a very different feel to it, okay? And so that a lot of folks that are in the button poetry space, um, a lot of those poems, I, I would argue about half of those poems in that space tend to be much more on, um, I'm going to use the word individual level, like things were being experienced very much more on an individual level um, and whatnot. They didn't have any, uh, they didn't have a lot of social justice oriented content, although someone may have been talking about being OCD or something like that or depression. It was much more about themselves as people and their personal experiences versus putting it in a social justice context. And so, you know, even with these these poetic spaces, even though we're talking about poetry, if you're not purposeful in regards to what you're picking, then you can fall into the same rut. Um, and so I knew that whatever it is that I picked for my textbook would have to be representative of people and their experiences. And so that's why I made sure that I was very purposeful in the content that I was selecting. And hey, if you want to go to that next level uh, in regards to like using spoken word poetry in a classroom and, and creating lesson plans and curriculum around that, uh, go to this space called Sociopoetics. 
Um, it's by the homie, Ant Black. Um, there's a subscription fee and everything, but he actually writes out, um, he uses poems and he actually writes out curriculum that you can use for the space. It's amazing. And so you might want to check that out if you want to go to that next level. You don't have to go to that level. I'm just saying, right? But if you're trying to go to that next level, um, it's definitely something uh, worth thinking about. And so when you use your passion to drive your content, um, you have to think about what the students are going to learn, right? And I look, I know it's weird, but I'm, I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily want them to know about spoken word poetry. Although a lot of time is spent in writing poems and reading poems and listening to poems and stuff like that. I get that. And yet that's not my main point. The main thing that I want them to, to figure out is I want them to connect to the emotions of a social problems and not just view it as facts. Right. That we're not just talking about inclusive bathrooms here. We're talking about people who are having a very real experience, a lived experience and real trauma in regards to bathrooms and not feeling like they could walk into the bathroom that represents their gender the best and whatnot. And so that's that is a real thing with real emotions connected to it. And that's the main reason why I want them to connect to to spoken word poetry. The other thing that I want them to figure out is that even though things seem deeply personal, they can be brought into a very sociological space. Now, for me personally, um, the, I already told you, right, it's like I, I write a lot of poems and, and I've even you know shared some in my other podcasts and whatever. And um, I've, I've told people, I've told the listener, you know, the people who are listening, I told you that my mom passed away um, probably about six, seven years ago now. And um, there's very real times when I go into depression as, as a result of that. There's very real times that I get triggered. Momentary triggers will happen where I get very emotional. A lot of times this happens during movies. Um, other times it could just me, literally be me walking through some store and then being reminded about something that my mom either told me or that she loved. I'm going to tell you, um, I still eat Spam eggs and rice to, to this day because that was one of my favorite meals that my mom would make. And those are very real emotions that I have, you know, and, and it took me and it took me a year and a half to realize that I was actually depressed about my mom passing away. And it was one of my colleagues in sociology, Karen Baum, bless her heart. She's, you know, she's amazing. Um, she's since retired. She actually pointed out to me, she's like, Bruce, you're depressed. And I'm like, Oh, that's what this is? No joke, right? And although this is very deeply personal, this is socially connected to the fact that men are taught to not cry. Uh, we're taught to bottle up our emotions. That is okay to express anger, but it's not okay to cry. Um, it's not okay to feel sad. It's not okay to be depressed um, and things like that. And so uh, when when we're talking about even this deeply personal thing that happened to me, it's very sociological as to how it all plays out in my life, um, how it plays out in my children's life, how it plays out in my work relationships and all of those things. That's what I want my students to see. And lastly, the things I want my students to understand is that, look, as I pursue my passion in the classroom, I want them to pursue their own passions. I don't care if it's poetry I care, right? It's like whatever their passion is, it could be art, right? It could be music. Um, it could even be nerd culture, 
right? Like anime or Dungeons and Dragons. That's actually one of my things. And so you can say whatever you want about that um, or cosplaying or whatever. It, look, it's like pursue your passion, pursue your passion and use that to your, you know, to your students benefit. Because like I said, it's not about poetry. It's about getting them to pursue their passion. And so when our students learn how to center their voice and their experiences and their learning, this is going to help them figure out what it means to be a good kid in this mad city. And if they learn how to do this, I guarantee you this is going to help close equity gaps, right? For them to learn how to be, how to center their voice and their experiences and their learning, this is going to close equity gaps. This is going to help them understand that they are important, that they are a source of knowledge, that their culture is important, that their experiences are important, that they are important. And when you can communicate that to students, all of our students, that's going to help close equity gaps, folks. So that's all I have for this episode. I hope you learned something. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reteach. If you want to learn more about me or my open source introduction to sociology textbook, please go to brucehoskins.com. In closing, I want to leave us all with a question. If you learned something today that you think would help close your student equity gaps, how long will it take to incorporate this into your classroom? A year? A semester? Next month? Today? No matter the timetable, we must commit ourselves to becoming better teachers. Our students deserve it. All of them. Not just the ones that are good already.